The Watchers. History. Look up at the stars. See the constancy with which they dance. This is the same sky our ancestors beheld when humanity was first pulled from the gloom. It has always been beyond our reach, tantalizing the limits of our understanding. Some say the stars are countless, but we know the truth. The cosmos is a magnificent artifice. Its ways can be known, its laws reckoned and catalogued. Chaos only exists in the minds of the ignorant or mad. Where there is existence, there is design, even on the scale of something as fast as creation itself. Our power lies in our observation of that grand design, for if a phenomenon can be observed, it can be influenced. Our beginnings were the beginnings of reason within the bog. The magics of older times were more feeling than thought, but the cosmos cannot be understood through instinct alone. Those who turned their eyes skyward found commonality both in circumstance and in philosophy. We met in high places, closer to that which we studied, cataloging and mapping and applying our minds. We debated our findings, compared notes and offered insights. Ere long we found that specialization and interdependence were the keys to furthering our studies. In common practice, our art is a sedentary one. It is categorically difficult to find places in a bog with an uninhibited view of the sky. When a suitable site is located, we have always had a tendency to settle there and prize our workspace. Nevertheless, those of our kind prone to wandering found each other in our promontories, and through this a sort of distant union was forged. While Idelfen was still young, a long-awaited convocation was arranged there around a place we called the Moon Pool. It was a basin of unnatural stillness and literal reflection that showed the night sky in its depths, and as the waters coalesced there, so did we. It was clear from the first words spoken that we needed a system. The artifice of the cosmos is ordered, and to pursue its secrets we required such order within ourselves. We drafted theories and plans, presented policies, and when the long debate was over we had agreed to a common identity. We became the Watchers. It was this discourse that founded the Orders, their speakers, and the Zodiac Court. We had constructed an apparatus of study, and could set it into motion. The labors of our young clan bore fruit quickly, with orders coordinating, avoiding redundant inquiries, and pointing their studies in the same directions, our research progressed like never before. Our first complete star charts were drawn in this age, with scribes dedicating lifetimes to copying them. The making of mind pearls was discovered, so that those dying could leave their knowledge behind in its completion. Observatories were built on high ground, and the marvel that was the orrery was designed in Idelfen to house and display our most precious findings. Who knows what untold breakthroughs were robbed from us by the violence of the breaking? While other clans stood together in this time of horrors, we watchers had no such luxury. Our practice took place where necessity dictated, each observatory was defensible on its own, but the network of them was spread out across the bog, and through the lands claimed by other clans. There was no common land for us to stake, no borders to enforce. We were cut off from each other, our great work halted, our brilliance giving way to stagnation. 
Then the calamity struck Idelfen. We were among the last to learn what had happened, but when those few survivors came to us carting sacks of what mined pearls and scrolls they could carry, and speaking of a star that fell on the orrery, the magnitude of our devastation became clear. Generations of discovery, undone in a cruel yet unthinking instant, the final indignity of a cruel and unthinking age. There was nothing to do but pick up what we could and redouble our efforts. With the fighting finally ended, the speakers were able to descend from their observatories and meet again, although not in lost Idelfen. So much knowledge was wiped out, so little recovered. Some of what is now gone cannot be replaced. The days that find us now are an age of rediscovery, but that does not mean that all is lost. As long as we have our minds, we can strive towards comprehension. The Watchers will do what we have always done. Observe and influence. The people. Culture. Above all things, the Watchers value intellect and their work with the cosmos. Though they acknowledge the necessity and utility of other strengths, martial prowess and trades and creativity, if you are looking to truly impress, the means with which to do so is through mental acuity. The Watchers foster a communal dedication to their work to a point near obsession. Every other faculty, skill, and effort is seen as an ancillary way to support the clan. Even then, the emphasis on working smarter and not harder is apparent. In every undertaking, the Watchers introduce order where there is none. They apply their minds and create systems. For menial tasks, this can mean creating divisions of labor, organizing crop rotations, drilling warfare tactics, and more. Within their study of the cosmos, this means applying a rigorous research method of observing, creating hypotheses, experimenting, and repeating the process until they arrive at a stable theory. Watchers do not believe in chaos or chance. To them, such things are an illusion, born of a lack of understanding. To a watcher, everything has its purpose and place. This belief holds true not just for natural phenomena, but for the people and the clan itself. The Watchers take a very collectivist view of their great work, revering the value of an individual, but putting far greater emphasis towards the furtherance of the clan's work to unravel the great mystery that drives the cosmos. Personal contributions matter when they pursue the common goal. Individual needs and desires are relevant, an apparatus is only as efficient as its faultiest part, after all, but are outweighed by those of the clan. Names. When watchers meet, the first thing they usually wish to know is to what order their fellow witch belongs. To this end, one's order is put before the name. To avoid confusion among those with similar names within the same orders, one's home observatory is put after. Thus, a watcher name would read as follows. Solar Astua, of High Reed. Luna Vrix, of Silver Eye. Thenson Kinsey, of Sight Beyond the Moor. Society. For those not partaking in vigils, living situations are simple and family-oriented. It is common for small homesteads carved into terraces on the sides of grassy bluffs to pass through the generations housing parents, children, and grandchildren in time. 
what wealth could be amassed through such small estates is passed on to the local observatory and its accompanying chapter houses to support those participating in their star-given vigils. Observatories are sprawling communal affairs built as high as the watches can manage. They typically consist of a vigil chamber where an ocular resides, a library for storing scrolls and mind pearls, and dormitories to house members of an order's local chapter. All of these are supported by the surrounding community, taking in resources and producing spells and new discoveries in kind. The life of Watcher Witches revolves around these dormitories. When a witch chooses to dedicate themselves to their order, they move from the family homes of lay people to the chapter houses. Though the dormitories they study and sleep in have little privacy, and though the witches themselves have virtually no personal property save for the scribing instruments they carry, their every need is provided for so that they need not worry about mundane matters and can dedicate themselves more fully to their studies. It is a life of bountiful service. Signs of the Zodiac Nessex, the hourglass An inevitable sign, the hourglass counts each grain as the sands of time pour and the cycle turns onward. Those born under the hourglass are said to be meticulous and methodical, always aware of the short and long term. Parvad, the drum a driving sign, the drum resounds and sends out stirring waves of impetus. Those born under the drum are said to galvanize those around them and bear great force of person, imposing their will on the world at large. Zaoru, the eye. An insightful sign, the eye peers across the cosmos into every crevice and abyss. Those born under the eye are said to be the greatest observers, restless and ever thirsting for information, unswerving seekers of truth and hidden knowledge. Dierne, the monolith, a solid sign, the monolith stands as a lone, unmovable firmament and pillar of constancy. Those born under the monolith are said to be steadfast of resolve, clinging to the truth they know, even if they stand alone in doing so. Fensa, the coils. A subtle sign, the coils lie under the surface of all things and twine where they wish. Those born under the coils are said to be quiet and furtive, keeping confidence well and never wearing their influence or purpose on their sleeve. Cuvona, the fountainhead. A giving sign, the fountainhead flows forth a spring of creativity, intuition, and fortune. Those born under the fountainhead are said to be generous of spirit, replete with inspiration, and disproportionately successful. Mesmagano, the hands. A working sign, the hands reach out across the cosmos to touch and grasp and manipulate. Those born under the hands are said to be the greatest changers of our time, always drawn to metal and pull strings in pursuit of their goals. Lectheron, the quiver. A poised sign, the quiver houses its arsenal in preparation, 
Those born under the quiver are said to bear a calm demeanor that belies their directness and to always have a new angle of attack ready at a moment's notice. Zethri, the loom. A weaving sign, the loom brings strands together to make a whole bigger than the sum of its parts. Those born under the loom are said to see value in everything, to foster cooperation and to have amazing potential. Yidrigo, the crocus. A hopeful sign, the crocus blooms when it is needed most. Those born under the crocus are said to be guiding forces within their communities, silver of tongue and graceful, a balm in the presence of others. Nent, the thresher. A cutting sign, the thresher fells and gathers, bringing change and productivity through destruction. Those born under the thresher are said to be irreverent and unafraid of mistakes or risks in the face of opportunity. Colash, the pendulum. A balanced sign, the pendulum swings to extremes but never oversteers in one direction to the exclusion of others. Those born under the pendulum are said to be intense and passionate, often manic but always open to changing course. Uvacht, the hollow. An eccentric sign, the hollow defies understanding with its wayward nature, moving whenever it goes undisturbed. Those born under the hollow are said to be beacons of the uncanny and unknown, misfits and anomalies by nature. The structure. Community. Where other clans have claimed entire regions as their territory, the watchers perch on isolated holdings scattered across the bog. There was a delicate balance to be struck when settling. In order for a place to be suitable, it had to be a highland with a view of the sky. However, such places are often so sought after that the contests over them made them useless for study. One can hardly contemplate in peace with war constantly on one's doorstep. So the highlands that made for lasting observatory sites were those that were too infertile to be valuable for other purposes, either completely rocky or supporting only grasses. Each watcher promontory is a relative cloister, self-sufficient and isolated. During the breaking they became the first and only walled settlements, using the advantage of their solid ground to erect palisades and redoubts, that in time became permanent fortifications. Houses are usually carved into paths on cliff faces, or made from piled stone and sod, and observatories boast the distinction of largest buildings in the bog. The permanence and solidity of their construction helped ensure that the watchers had the least loss of life of any clan during the breaking. The layout of a watcher promontory hammers home the clan's unspoken class divide with its physical arrangement. Lay folk live on the bluffs and terraces at lower elevations compared to the witches in the orders. Chapter houses of the Order of the Sun are placed at the densest points within this echelon to ensure that they are as accessible as possible to the community. Witches of the astral and lunar orders live above, near or in the observatories depending on the locations of the chapter houses and dormitories. 
The observatory itself, and especially its ocular, is built at the highest possible point for ease of observing the night sky. In this way, funds and economic support trickle uphill to those which is seen as most essential, while the most disposable insulate the precious observatories and the knowledge contained therein from the world. Authority Some of the most well-known and commonly seen authorities in the day-to-day -day lives of the Watchers are witches belonging to the Order of the Sun. Witches of this order often serve to arbitrate disputes and safeguard communities from the threats of the bog, and as such carry clout even when there is no specific edict or charter granting them real authority. This position only holds among watchers who are not part of the orders, however. There is little attempt from the Order of the Sun to interfere with witches of its sister orders, as any attempt to do so gets quickly politicized, and solar witches are well aware that when it comes to watcher politics they occupy the lowest tier in the pecking order. When it comes to enforcement of laws and policies within the orders, this typically falls to the discretion of local chapter heads, and can occasionally be pushed to the higher authority of an order's speaker. Disputes are always settled by litigation, either of individuals against each other, or of an order against an individual. Settlements always come in some form of compensation, either resources or service, as punishments are largely seen as useless and wasteful. The harshest sentence within the Watcher's legal code is that of banishment. The political structure of the Watchers comes entirely from the Orders. Witches within an Order carry more say in Watcher affairs than layfolk, and are the only ones permitted at convocations. Orders are made up of the witches that hold vigils, a chapter head for each observatory, and one speaker that represents the will and interests of their order. Speakers then gather to debate policy in the Zodiac Court. Held at the orrery until the calamity struck Idlefen, the Zodiac Court is the highest political authority among the Watchers. The Work Economy where watcher promontories have worked to stay self-sufficient, those living in one can find a bit of anything within walking distance. Terrace farms, tradesfolk, and vital services are always local, though luxury goods may not always be present. It is common to have a close relationship with one's providers and service people, and competition between those with similar produce or trades can become very personal very quickly. Terrace farming takes up virtually every fertile acre of a watcher promontory, as land that qualifies as such can be incredibly limited. Typical crops include wheat, potatoes, corn, rice, tea, and coffee. Grazing lands can actually be somewhat easier to come by, as they do not need to be open fields. The livestock of the watchers are most commonly goats, with some sheep, Due to this, they wear primarily clothing made of wool, and their biggest delicacies are dairy products, especially a variety of soft cheeses. Though there is trade within promontories, the biggest way that resources move is in tax. 
Chapter houses and observatories are supported by the communities around them, so that witches do not need to spend valuable time that could be spent in study or on vigil performing menial works. Witches of the orders live fairly plentiful lives because of this. Their days consist of waking late, spending hours in study or research, and then observing their vigil as directed by their order. Meals and snacks are provided at any time they are required, as are clothing and study materials. While this keeps witches very focused on task, it has also given them a somewhat deserved reputation for being unskilled in basically anything beyond their studies. Technology The apparatus employed by the Watchers are some of the most complex designed in the bog. Where much of the bog employs technology on the level of the Iron Age, closely guarded Watcher research has led to the discovery of rudimentary clockwork and delicate navigational and star-charting instruments. The orrery was the greatest example of this, a model of the cosmos that moved on its own in keeping with the celestial sphere, but smaller models that serve similar functions do exist. Most prized among the stargazing tools of the Watchers are the oculars at the heart of every observatory and astrolabes commonly carried on a Watcher's person. Where metal is scarce, these instruments are most commonly crafted from bone and crystal. Magic The witchcraft of the Watchers revolves around the cosmos. Where other clans' magic relies on emotion and feeling, the Watchers' magic is a studied art based in years of rigor. The oldest art is reading the stars for divinatory purposes, gleaning information about the future, but this was only the beginning. The very nature of the cosmos can lend power to a witch's workings. Sympathetic connections to the signs of the zodiac can be employed for wards or magical constructs, for influencing probabilities and changing the intended course of the future. Watcher magic is often cast through drawn sigils and glyphs or charms constructed under the stars the spell borrows power from. Witches will carry journals on them for this reason, as well as wands and staves for tracing shapes on the ground when it is not too wet to hold a drawing. When researching new spells, watchers will spend hours observing the stars or in meditation and communion with the cosmos itself. Plenty of experimenting is done with fellow witches as well. Knowledge shines brightest when shared, and another witch may well know more about the secret nature of a cosmic phenomenon, or where to find a charged medium for channeling the proper energy than you do. Why reinvent the wheel when the answer is already known? Divination is the most common of Watcher magic in all its forms. Watchers can almost always be counted on to glean information about the future, to locate certain objects or people within the material sphere, or to glean pure insights about anything no matter how secret. Following this are boons and curses that change what some would refer to as fate or luck. After all, the way of the Watchers is to observe and then influence. 
In times of war, Watcher Magic is largely defensive. They have never had much interest in lands beyond their promontories, so their practice has gone towards drawing up wards first and slinging raw power later if necessary. The Orders Orders of the Stars When a Watcher takes their vigils, they are inducted into the order corresponding with the stars under which they were born. It is not a matter of choice, simply of circumstance and birthright. Each of the astral orders studies the region of the cosmos surrounding their stars, so that between them they have the night sky covered. On their vigils, watchers observe the cosmos searching for unseen phenomena or recording the positions and directions of the stars, checking and double-checking that their charts have remained accurate over the years. When not performing their vigils, they are tasked with clerical duties in their observatories, tutored in the watchers' celestial magics or given time to experiment with new magic on their own. Some amount of controversy exists where the doctrine of assignment to an astral order collides with the nature of the thirteenth sign. As Uvacht moves through the cosmos, it does not have a dedicated month of the year to call its own. Adherents of the order of Uvacht claim all manner of esoteric tests to reveal if someone was born under the thirteenth sign, and as a result have a habit of turning up at the eleventh hour to claim a witch-bound for another order. Watchers of the Order of the Stars prominently bear a patch or insignia displaying the sign of the stars they were born under. Order of the Sun If a watcher is not satisfied with assignment to an astral order, or is uninterested in taking vigils, they have the alternative of opting into a posting in the Order of the Sun. Though the work of this order is all too often thankless, it is undoubtedly the foundation on which the watchers depend. The Order of the Sun handles issues that require a witch's touch, but that are unrelated to cosmic study. They are warriors, guardians, explorers, healers, ambassadors to other clans, and more. Where a watcher needs a helping hand, the Order of the Sun is there to fulfill that need. Solar chapter houses are typically some combination of hospital and guild hall, a place for watchers to seek physic or aid, or post their needs in the hopes that a member of the order will come calling. Watchers of the Order of the Sun dress practically and often in gold tones. Order of the Moon No one chooses to join this order. If you are suited, they will seek you out. It is unclear what the Order of the Moon does. They are secretive about their work to a fault, keep restricted sections of observatory libraries, and have a habit of swooping in to interrupt vigils and usurp use of the local ocular. Nevertheless, the speakers of the other orders seem to let them have their way. Rumor has it that inductions into this order typically come as a complete surprise to the prospect, but... Strangely enough, no one ever seems to have found a witch who remembers having turned down an invitation to join. Watchers of the Order of the Moon dress in monochrome and wear hooded cloaks, though little else is known about what might be standard about their order's garb. Diplomacy 
the kin. When the Zodiac Court looked into the future, after violence broke out at the dawn of the breaking, they saw a world in which all were kin. Thankfully, the future is never set in stone, and this eventuality was narrowly avoided. It was we who spearheaded the alliance that so narrowly avoided this fate, and we do not regret avoiding our subjugation, but there is still debate to this day over whether the campaign against the kin went too far. We provided the other clans with the insight and guidance to break the kin's forces, we provided wards to bulwark their troops, and in the end, though we were not ourselves the executioners, we masterminded a slaughter even beyond the kin's own reckoning. To this end, we are working to make a form of reparation. We are aware that we cannot directly replace what was lost, but we can offer guidance that serves both our ends and theirs. It is clear that we do not yet have their trust, just as their potential to rise again to the height of their former power remains a very real threat, but their unity of purpose and earnestness is something that we can work with. If we work with them openly and in good faith, we stand the best chance at swaying them toward a future of coexistence and away from one that begets further atrocity. The Rooted Once the alliance against the kin dissolved, the Rooted became a source of constant fear and paranoia within our clan. Theirs was not an honest or honorable method of war. They peddled diseases through their goods and through their people, and when plague struck a promontory, its walls became those of a tomb. Consequently, we adopted a policy of barring all rooted from our lands, turning those who came to us away with prejudice. Having them in our midst was simply a risk we could not take. Whatever their plight after that, it was one of their own making. We work with the rooted to honor the spirit of the times, but there is little we gain from their association. Their magic is earthen, unstudied, the work of subsistence and feeling. It is difficult to see what they contribute to our work of unraveling the cosmos, nor do we feel they are owed anything, even our trust. However, the bog is as complex an apparatus as the cosmos, Every time our speakers read together the future of this piece, it is clear that the cooperation of all clans is paramount. They must have some part to play in what is to come, and we must accept that. Somehow. The Veilwalkers. While there was cause to fear each of the other clans during the breaking, none was so great a threat as the Veilwalkers. Forces of the undead can lead a siege unending, never running out of supplies and without morale to break. Above all else, these were the reasons we ensured that our promontories could sustain themselves indefinitely, both against wars of attrition and ongoing onslaughts. Those few observatories that fell to the hordes became festering fortresses that still teem with sleepless dead. As peace has settled and the Pale March has grown in power, 
it has become clear that they do not intend to campaign against us. Indeed, it is a relief to many to finally see order growing within their ranks. The Zodiac Court has watched the edicts levied against rogue witches within their ranks with great interest. In this new age of the weaving, the Veilwalkers have been the first to accept our envoys and the first clan with which trade has officially reopened. The Wilders During the breaking, the Wilders sought to advise us, and we ignored them. It was unthinkable that they would possess insight greater than our own, and yet they foretold disaster, and disaster followed. We did not have long to dwell on it, however, before long wilder raids on our farms became increasingly common, and their hostility increased to the point that we could no longer risk peaceful contact with them. We warded our walls to keep them out, turned away potential spies, and let them be. Our contact with the Wilders remains sparse. We respect their dedication and ingenuity in managing to come as far as they have without magic, but it is difficult to judge what to make of them, and unclear what their relevance to us is without witchcraft of their own. What we do know is that underestimating them is a foolish mistake. They should continue to be watched. Perhaps their worth lies not in their current strength, but in their potential. The Circle At the beginning of the learning, when we discovered that there was more to our communities than what lay in a single promontory, we held a convocation and we organized. The Circle is the same thing on a grander scale. It is clear to us that we cannot ignore the other clans, they too must organize. We must observe their natures and use that insight to influence them. The clans must become the sort of apparatus that we ourselves became so long ago, working together in harmony, seeking benefit and value from each other, and serving a common higher purpose. The circle is the vehicle by which we will accomplish this. It must succeed, must be given a purpose to strive towards, lest the next blow to the progress of our work prove fatal.